Acts chapter 5. We're in a series called The Great Awakening, and it is about awakenings and how our culture needs a move of God, a, a revival, a reviving of sorts. And we are going to read now what I think is one of the more difficult passages, if we're honest, in the book of Acts. It's a little hard to swallow, and I just want you to get your heart ready. Starting in verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and bought, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. You think? Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. I've often thought this was the early youth group. Hey, what did the youth ministry do back in the day? They carried off the dead bodies of people that died when the preacher spoke. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead... They carried her out, buried her beside her husband, and great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I often hear people say, I want to go to a book of Acts church. Are you sure? <laughs> Let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I have eight children, and so I'm very in touch with the reality from this story that I always enjoyed of the, the woman that invited the pastor over to her house for dinner and the, with the family, and she turned to one of her children and said, honey, would you be willing to pray for dinner right now? To which the child's like, ah, I'm just not really, no, come, come on, baby, will, will you pray? She said, well, I don't, no, mom, I don't know that I feel comfortable. She said, I wouldn't know what to say, to which was embarrassing the mother, any of you parents that have ever tried to use your children to impress people. She said, you know, just pray what you hear me pray. She said, well, Okay. Lord, oh Lord, why did I invite the pastor to dinner tonight? Amen. <laughs> to which the mother was horrified as her hypocrisy was revealed. I want to talk today about being real. I want to talk about being real. I'm thinking of a game in my mind right now, and the game in my mind is probably the earliest game that you ever played. It's, it's a game that's played all over the world. It, probably was everyone in this room's first little activity that you learned to do in this kind of a way. The rules are very simple in this game. First you peek, and then you boo. Guess what it's called? How many of you remember playing peekaboo? Remember that, peekaboo? Of course, you, you uh, conceal, and then you reveal. It's called peekaboo. Now, what's interesting is I don't talk to a lot of adults that call up other adults and say, yo, why don't you come over Friday night? Let's play some serious peekaboo. <laughs> it's not really a game that adults do. It's a game that seems like people kind of grow out of, although social scientists tell us that the game actually plays a pretty big role because 
even with little children, before they could even speak, they might start playing this game. Part of what happens is the hiding part is crucial. When you conceal yourself, it's, it's got a reality to it where you learn, a child learns that they exist even when you don't see me. I exist even, even if you don't see what's going on, there's still a reality that's there. I'm, I'm independent. But then I reveal myself and you see me and I see you. That There's a little tension when a child plays peekaboo, they tell us, that they're kind of wondering internally, are, are you still watching? Are, are, are you looking at me? Are you, are you there? Did I lose you? Did I... Did I conceal myself for too long that you did not stick around, you, you lost interest in me? But maybe most importantly, that when a child looks at the face, especially of parents that are the first usually to play this game with children, that when you look at the eyes of your parents, something happens in the emotions, in the heart, in the mind, in the soul of a child when there's a parent whose face lights up. Now, the phrase that the Bible uses for this is one's countenance is lifted up. That when the countenance, it, when the child goes peekaboo and the parent, and their eyes get big and their eyebrows go up and, and, they, and they have this delight in their hearts, they tell us it's actually very vital for the development of a child. It's, it's vital for, for learning. It's vital for emotional stability. They, they would call it attachment theory when moms and children and fathers and children, they, they get this attachment where a child learns especially when they are delighted in, there is a safety, that there is a, there, there is a way in which it's clear that I am now seen, but I'm also loved. And when you're seen and loved, when you're seen and delighted in, when you are seen and wanted, when you're seen and desired, when you're seen and, and you're a joy, when you give joy to somebody else, it does something to you on the inside that makes you, well, let me say it to you in the words of, of Genesis. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve, and they were naked and unashamed. They were fully seen, and they were fully loved and accepted, and they were unashamed. There was no shame. It doesn't say they were naked and unashamed because they went to the gym all the time and they had perfect bodies. They were naked and unashamed because they were fully seen, and they were fully accepted. And when you are fully known, and you're still fully loved, there's a power in that. Now, the problem, of course, comes when sin entered the world. The first words that we get of sin coming in was that now instead of being naked and unashamed, now they were ashamed. Now they were afraid. Now they were running. Now they were hiding. Now they went and they, they found fig leaves to cover. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up because somehow once they sinned and separated from God, they now had a worry and a fear that they weren't quite enough. And so we've been covering up ever since. Ever since, we've, there's this reality about us that we, we come and, and we put things on that really aren't quite us, but we know that, well, I mean, everybody else wears these kind of shirts, so I guess I, I should wear these kind of shirts. And little kids, you're like, oh, someone said it looks good, right? And so, so what, what you've got are you've got kids that when they're little, they, I mean, some of my kids, I remember when they were younger, they would, they'd say, man, I'm just going to go to school dressed like this. Now, I don't mean inappropriately or, or lustfully. I'm saying just kind of like, ah, you know, and they say, hey, daddy, that's me. And I'm like, well, I don't want you wearing that. Well, why don't you want me wearing that? Well, because it's, it's not quite, it's, it's not quite cool enough. It's not quite what what all the, the other kids wear. The problem is we sort of grow up and we, and as we do, we, we, we start trying to 
fit into things that just aren't quite us. And it's, it's awkward, of course, when we're honest about it, and yet if we're really, really honest about it, I think we grow up and we grow old, and there's many of us that turn 50 or 60 or 70, and we've been trying to wear other people's lives for a very long time. And it's a very sad thing to watch somebody trying to, to fit into callings that they were never called to. But my mom wanted me to do this, and my dad wanted me to do this, and, my, and the culture I'm in wanted me to do this. And, and I think there's, there, there's a danger of trying to, to, to get a life that just like, you know, just trying to be whatever, you know? And it's like, you like, I... I Mike, I don't think that's you. It's like, no, but what if it is, you know? And, and when we come to this passage where we are today, it's, it's interesting because we see an Ananias and Sapphira trying to be something that they're not, trying to put on clothes that they're thinking might make them acceptable. They're, they're, they're thinking it's going to somehow make them... In, in, and so we do. We, we grow up and, and we, we pose... At school, and we pose at work, and we, I don't know if it happens anywhere worse than it does at church and around Christians, where we try so hard to put on a, a garment that we think other people want us to wear, and so someone says, how are you? You say, oh man, I'm, I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> well, how, how, how do you feel today? Oh, how do I feel? Oh, well, all I got to say is, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know if I can, there we go. I can rejoice. And, and yet what we're going to see today is that our faking is killing us. Ananias and Sapphira died a quick death, but I would submit to you that many of us are just dying slow deaths. When there is a reality of who you are, and there's a distance between who you really are and what the real, reality is, when the, when the distance between your personality and your reality widens, that is called disintegration. There is a way in which you become disintegrated. There, the opposite of this would be integration or, or an integer, a whole number, or we would get a word like integrity, that, that when the real you is also the, 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 the you that comes out. And, and, I, and I just want to let you know, I, these phones make it so hard for us because we go and we take 49 selfies and we pick the one that's going to manage our image to put online that's in front of us doing a devotion while we put some caption that makes people think this is really what I think about or what I care about. And so we, we have these social media impressions of ourselves to make the world think that this is who we are, to make Christians think that this is who we are, to make people think, oh, we care about justice and we care about the Bible and we care about people, when in reality you could be depressed and selfish and isolated, but nobody would know it because you've, you've got an image to maintain on a, on a social media platform that you put out there, and, and it's killing us. And today where I want to go is I just really want to say this one thing. I, I need you to understand, Ananias or Sapphira, that God has promised that he's going to bless the real you, not the fake you. So we want the real you. God will bless the real you. God will heal the real you. God will redeem the real you. God will forgive the real you. 
God will assist the real you. God will empower the real you. God will pour his kingdom upon the real you, not the fake you. So I'm calling us today to get real. So let's get the backdrop of this horrible passage where two people die in church. Starting in verse 32, it goes back to the previous chapter. All the believers were actually of one heart and one mind because the question that Peter asked is, why would you do this? Well, we're about to find out why. It says, the believers were all of one heart and one mind. That's unity. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles testified to the resurrection of Jesus. We'll do that next week. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them all. There was not even a needy person among them because from time to time, those who owned lands sold them, brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to anyone that had need. This is like the perfect church. Everyone's got the same heart. Everyone's got the same mind. If someone needs something, they share with each other. I mean, have you ever had, you ever just wanted to go to the perfect church? I always hear people say, man, I want to, I want to be a Book of Acts church. Book of Acts, well, you, by that they would mean Acts 4, because by the time you get to Acts 5, well, let me back up real quick. If you find a perfect church, please don't go, because you know you will mess it up. Do you, do you understand that if you give it time, like what makes something imperfect is people. That's what makes it imperfect. It's, it's the law of scrutiny. Like if, if you find the perfect microchurch, all I got to say is stick with it for a little while. It's called the law of scrutiny. You keep looking in someone's face long enough, you're going to be like, yo, one of your nostrils is bigger than the other. <laughs> the law of scrutiny, it's like you're like, whoa, one of your eyes, <laughs> it's bigger than the other one. Whoa, whoa. Your forehead, ah, well, your, your lips, your cheeks, your hair, your, well, the law of scrutiny says the longer you look at something, the more likely you are to recognize all the imperfections. It's the honeymoon stage. Two people get married, they're in honeymoon stage. Some of you are in a honeymoon stage for like a long time, like six hours. <laughs> but after a little while, you're, you're like, whoa, my wife goes to the bathroom? Like, what? Well, my, my, my husband is not as romantic as he seemed to be when we were, like, where, where'd Mr. Romance go? The honeymoon stage, it happens in marriages. The honeymoon stage happens with, with friends. Like, you, you get a new friend group, and it's like, oh, my gosh, these are the best friends I've ever had. Have you noticed there's a honeymoon stage of, of friend groups? There's, there's honeymoon stages of jobs? You know, this happens, this will happen on greenhouse staff sometimes. Someone like comes to our church, they love our church, and they'll say, I'm going to come on, sta come on staff. The problem with coming on staff is, if you see me up, like, you see me on, up on stage, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm preaching, I've got the Bible. On staff, it's 40 hours in a week, you got all the drama that's going, you got whatever's happening. What's going to happen is the law of scrutiny is going to say the longer you look at your, the boss, let's say, you're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute, there's, there's a lot of imperfections in Mike, which is true. I've also seen this with employees. There's people we hired, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. And then after six months, you're like, you're not as amazing as I thought you were. <laughs> the law of scrutiny goes in a lot of ways. It's husbands and wives, wives and husbands. It's, it's boyfriends and girlfriends. It's, it's co-workers with each other. It's bosses and it's employees. And it's, it's, it's the, when, when we have the, it's this perfect, the, the perfect church is happening here, man. There's great power. The pre, great, with great power, they testify to the resurrection of the dead. That means the preaching was on point. Nothing like good preaching. And, then, and they shared everything. I've talked to, by the way, this still happens. I've talked to people. I was talking to someone in our church. What microchurch do you go to? They go, I go to the microchurch where everybody shares cars. When someone's car breaks down, no one ever doesn't have a ride because we just hand keys to each other. It's awesome. 
That's wonderful. Like there's very, very cool things that happen. There seems to be a perfect church. All I got to say is this. If you're in the perfect job, perfect church, perfect marriage, perfect whatever, just give it some time. There will be an Ananias and a Sapphira that's going to show up, and the person's probably going to show up with your skin. So then it says, that the interesting detail, verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field and, uh, that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I, I want to just let you see what's going on. Ananias and Sapphira did not sell a field and take the money and bring it to the apostles in a vacuum. What happened was they saw somebody that had a pretty big capacity for generosity named Barnabas, and they saw the pants that this guy could wear, and they're like, man, that dude's got a gift of generosity. And this guy, Barnabas, this, this man just apparently had the skills to pay. I don't know if it's because he was mature in the Lord. I don't know if it's because he had a gift of generosity. What we know is that Barnabas, he, let me, uh, let me see what this looks like on screen here. I'm trying to see my pants. All right, there it is. Yep. All right, there we go. <laughs> Barnabas was wearing some pretty big pants. And what happened, it's, it is so difficult to see the gifts talents, the anointing, the glory, the favor on other people's lives, and not try to put on their clothes. Peter says, well, how, did, how did Satan get in your heart to tempt you to do this stuff? To which they'd be like, listen, man, did you see Barnabas? Did you see Barney? Barnabas got his own pet name. His name was Joseph. I mean, imagine when the apostles are like, Joseph, forget Joseph. We're calling you Bar, son of Nabus, son of encouragement. Imagine your reputation is so strong that you just walk in the room. Everyone's like, man, that dude encourages us. Beware of envy, friends. Because envy will plant ideas in your mind that will cause you to live a life that is not yours. Today, I really want some of you Ananias and Sapphiras today to be willing to, to let me see if I can do this, to, to take off the clothes. Now, I, I want to get clear. There's nothing wrong with giving a bunch of money away. There's nothing wrong with being generous. What I'm saying is there is something very wrong when you do the right things for the wrong reasons, or when you do the right things and they are not you. We're about to find out for when Peter comes to Ananias and Sapphira, and he, Peter says to him, why'd you do this? He says, how did Satan lie to you? Didn't it belong to you before you received it? Before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? Get real clear. Ananias does not get killed because he's stingy. He gets killed because he's a hypocrite in the house of the Lord. And by the way, let me just do a little parenthetical statement because I've really struggled with this. I've wondered and worried over the years sometimes, like, oh my gosh, uh, just real quick confession. Who in this room has ever lied? Has anyone in here ever lied? Okay, is, if the message of this sermon is, if you lie, you're gonna die. <laughs> I mean, there, there's another part of me that's like, wait a minute, I've lied and I did not die. Let me break down what is happening here. This is the church. This is the Greek word ekklesia. Jesus doesn't use the word a lot. He occasionally does use the word. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word ekklesia is a word which means the called out ones. It's an assembly. It was not a religious word that Jesus invented. It was a social cultural word that Jesus adopted and appropriated for the, the purposes of his people. 
So Israel had been his people. Now he was saying, hey, I'm going to go and I'm calling my people the church. I'm going to bring my people together. But an ecclesia was a term that was used in the empire, in the Roman Empire. You'd go into different cities and you'd have in these, these Greek city-states, whatever, you'd have assemblies. You'd have, they were called ecclesias. They were assembling spots where people would gather. You could belong to the assembly. You could belong to the ecclesia. You would gather in the name of the emperor. You would gather in that name. When you had gathered in his name, when the gavel had come down, the assembly was now in session. And when the assembly was in session, it was similar to like a court right now where you'd say, hey, while we're meeting in, this, in the court right now, you can lie. Do all of you understand there's a difference between lying and lying under oath? Do you promise? Do you swear? Blah, blah, blah. Then I know we don't swear as Christians and whatever, but there was a reality that the church was the called out ones, and we're in a little moment of danger, I think, in Christian circles now because we have rightfully pushed off on institutionalized Christianity of like, hey, man, it's, it's not like an institution, man. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church, man. You can't go to church. You are the church, man. When you're just sitting there like in yourself, man, you are the church. I'm going to let you know you are not the church and I am not the church. We are the church when we gather in his name. This, this really does kind of matter because I'm hearing a lot of people like, man, I just, man, I go to Starbucks with two friends and, man, I got myself a Frappuccino and we just sit there. We're, we're just talking about sports. Man, that's the church. No, no, no. The assembly, there was, it's like the gavel would come down and say, the assembly is now in session. Court is now in session. The church is now in session. The gates of hell often prevail against people. I mean, in case we haven't been able to see this, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. This matters a lot because Ananias didn't just lie. He lied when he came into church and they're gathered in Jesus' name. And the Spirit of God was not just having the members of the body be there randomly. They were now gathered. And Peter comes up to him, and I'm convinced Peter's not trying to kill him. Peter's trying to deliver him. Peter recognizes that he's looking at a guy that's living a life of disintegration, that he's looking at a woman that's living a life of disintegration, that they're claiming one thing while they're living another, and it may kill you in a moment or it may kill you over a lifetime, but it's going to kill you. When you live a life that is different than the life that you were made to live, when you try to fit into clothes that were never made for you, when you try to live a calling that's it's, it's just, it's not yours. It's when, when you're living an existence that's different from the life that God has called you to live, it does something to you. It contorts you. It disintegrates you. So he goes up to him. Ananias, because apparently he had already made a claim of what they had sold it for. And by the way, apparently what had happened was Ananias said, I'm going to sell this property. Whatever I get, I'm going to give it. Chances are he sold the property and got way more than what he thought. Thought he was going to get 10000 He got 30000 Goes to his wife's a fire. Like, oh, my gosh, check it out. We, we could get all the cool points that Barnabas got for selling a piece of property, and we could still have twenty grand on the side. Let's do it. She goes along with it. And they lied. But now they're in the church. And now Peter comes to him and says, Barnabas, this is way too important. It's way too important for all the people that are watching this, and it's way too important for your soul. Tell me, did you sell the property for such and such amount? And he lies, not just in a general way, but he lies in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the only antidote for fear of people 
is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord came upon that place when he dropped down and died. See, the problem with hypocrisy, it's, it's when the opinions of people becomes more important to us than the opinion of God. When the favor of humans becomes more vital than the, the favor of God, and, and he dies. Peter says, it belonged to you. It, it was, it was, see, our faking is killing us, and my concern is there's a little Ananias in all of us. There's a little Sapphira in all of us. We act, we're tempted to act like we give more than we do, or pray more than we do, or, or care more than we do, or love more than we do, or do more than we do. And, and I, wanted, I just want to let you know, I want to level the playing field right now because we're totally set up for failure here because we're in a culture that lies to us. We're in a culture that says, you be you. Just be your real self. Just tell the truth. Tell your truth. Be honest about who you are. That's what our culture says. But then the same culture that says you tell the truth, when you do tell the truth, is like a savage and comes down and punishes you with shame. Like we got a culture that's like, hey man, you just be you. Yeah, but if you looks like this, what ends up happening is that the world will say, the culture says, you just go be you. But when you are honest about what the real you is, we've got a shame culture that will crucify you if you have not moved along as far as the culture wants you to move. I see this right now with a multitude of things. Take what's happening in the Ukraine right now. I was talking to someone recently, and, and uh, I'll just be honest. What, what's happening, the, the atrocities in, in Ukraine are... What's ha- war in general, but what's happening in Ukraine, there, there's just things that have been absolutely tragic. And I was talking to someone, they're like, hey man, I'll just be honest, I don't, very, I don't care that much about that. I was like, okay, I, I can handle, you haven't seen that firsthand, and, and, and here was the catch, like, re- regardless of what your opinion on, on Ukraine stuff is, it'd be like, well, wait a minute, um, shouldn't their heart be somewhere else? Maybe so, but God never does his work in the context of shame. He only does it in the context of a lifted countenance of love. That's the only way God moves. I was talking to somebody else that had that was talking about missionary Sam and, and how we'll spend a lot of money to rescue slaves. And this person said, I'll just be honest. I'm not given a dollar to rescue slaves. I don't care about that. This person said, listen, I, you know, they, in, in, they had their issues. They said they've got their burdens. They said, I'll just be honest with you. That's not my burden. That's not, God has not called me to do anything about that. What do you think about that, Pastor Mike? I was like, I trust God Almighty to lead you the way that God Almighty is going to lead you to live the life that you're called to lead. By the way, I want you guys knowing that. Like, even when we make calls, like if we get up and I make a call for it, you fill in the blank. It could be on the abortion issue. It could be on racial justice issues. There's, there's a, we're in a dangerous moment right now because our culture on one hand says, you be you, but then on the other, we have these little mantras. We say things like, your silence is compliance. If you've not said anything and lifted your voice for the unborn to speak out about abortion, then your silence is compliance and there's blood on your hands. And everyone's like wants to go throw blood in everyone's hands. Whatever your issue is, there's a tendency to shame other people that have not adopted your issue. It's a really dangerous moment because we're, we're not really trusting that God Almighty knows how to lead people to put on their clothes. That he's, we're like, you're either going to put, you either put my shirt on or I will shame you on social media. And it's, and it's really weird because what you have are a bunch of people that are 
that are feigning and they're posing as justice advocates and they're posing as they care about righteousness in this area or justice in this area or they're, they're feigning a desire for things of God's kingdom. And I'm just telling you, it's really weird when you see Barnabas. And listen, here's the catch. Barnabas was a man of God and Barnabas was used by God and Barnabas had God all over him. But you know what, Ananias and Sapphira, if you're not Barnabas, don't try to be Barnabas. Give it time. God may grow you into that, but church, can we stop trying to shame people into growth when God knows how to grow them by the Spirit of God? Can can you imagine going to your three-year-old and trying to shame him into, why can't you do calculus that? You're already three. It's going to take a minute to teach a three-year-old to do calculus. And I'm watching us Shame, don't give me, listen, I'm not, ju- do not justify the wicked. Do not, do not justify unrighteousness. But, but listen, man, if, you, if you've got like the weakest prayer life in this church, I don't want you acting like you've got some profound prayer life. I liked it the other day when someone's like, I don't know how to pray. I was like, thank you. Talk to someone else, they're like, they heard about tithing. They're like, tithing? What does that mean? They're, someone's like 10%. They're like, 10%? And they started laughing, like, are you serious? And the other people were like, ah. Uh. And I was like, well, no, no, back down. I'm like, that does sound crazy. Wait, wait, if I give my first 10%, you're saying my other 90% will be better? It's like, yeah. And they're kind of, they were just asking, like, does anyone else think that sounds crazy? I'm letting you know, I agree. I think that sounds crazy. Now, the kingdom is crazy and all these kind of, but here, here's my point. You, you don't teach an anti-shame kingdom by shaming people in. Yeah. That's why part of our vision is we want to be a church where people can feel like they belong before they believe, and then they believe before they behave. That's the order, by the way. Ananias and Sapphira flipped it. Ananias wanted to, to behave, which would give him belonging. He's like, well, Barney got, Joseph became Barney by performing, is what they thought. But what they didn't realize is Barney's performance was a result of Barney's belief, which was a result of Barney already belonging. When you belong first, which is what happens to a child playing peekaboo, peekaboo, I've done nothing. I've earned nothing. I've done no good work. All I've done is show up. And my mother's countenance is lifted to me. And in the context of a lifted countenance, you start to believe what your mommy says about you. You are precious. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You're going to be used by God. God's got a plan for your life. And then out of that, they go into a wardrobe and they find their clothing and they figure out what they're called to do. (laughs) And maybe their calling looks different than your calling does. But when they know who they are and they know whose they are, And when they know that there's a countenance that's been lifted up to them, and they realize it doesn't matter what the peasants on the earth think about the shirt I'm wearing when the king of heaven made me to wear this shirt. That does something to you. The context of growth and transformation and wholeness is a lifted countenance, which, by the way, which is why the priests would pray this. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make his face to shine up. May the countenance of the Lord be lifted up to you. May you understand that when you wake up in the morning, that Father God's face lit up. That's the reality. And then out of that, you begin to, I believe in him because his countenance was lifted to me first. Don't, don't you get it? 
I belonged before I believed because on a cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus removed the only thing that could keep me from belonging, which was my sin. You cannot go to heaven with sin in your life, in your heart. So Jesus 2,000 years ago dealt with that. I belonged 2,000 years ago. About 30 years ago, I started believing. And that's led to a life of trying to behave. But I want to, I long, I dream of us being a place where people belong and then believe and then whatever behaving we do, it's based, it, it, our behavior is not the result of social media shaming. You will lift your voice for my cause or that cause or this cause because if you don't, we will shame. I am so tired of us being surprised at the bad fruit that has come from a shame culture when what Jesus has promised is that if we'll go to him and we belong, we'll start to believe and he does something on the inside that, that people change on the insides because God wants the insides, and that moves to the outsides. Parents, I want you excavating the insides of your children to figure out, what did God make my daughter to, to who did he make her to be? What, not, not just that, I mean, yes, you've got ambitions for your child, but parents, the beauty of parenting is not trying to impose on them what you would like them to be, but for you to be like a tour guide, tour guide that, that discovers, an archaeologist that discovers my precious child. This is who God made you to be before the foundation of the earth. And disciples, same thing with us. Yes, I want you lifting your voice for unborn lives. Yes, I want you lifting your voice for black lives. Yes, I want us lifting our voice for Ukraine. Yes, I want us to lift our voice for the hungry. Yes, I want us to go and fight injustice. Yes, I want us to be about righteousness. I also want us to trust our king and our God that knows how to tell us when and how and where to put the clothes on people, not compromising our truth, but trusting God's process of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week when people come on Easter Sunday, I want people to show up to the most authentic, real group of people that they have ever been with their entire life, ever. Because our faking is killing us. Our faking is killing us. But when we come out, see, when, when, we, when we get real, God will heal. When we get real, God will bless. When we get real, God will redeem. When we get real, God will forgive. I remember years, several years ago, there was a, a guy that was in the, a new Christian that was in our church, and, and we had some event happening, and we just needed some help setting up and tearing down, and he was helping and all this, and I walked up to him, and we were cleaning something. I said, hey, bro, how you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just hungover. <laughs> I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, man. I mean, I just, someone texted me late last night. It was like 1.30. I shouldn't have gone to their house. And they just said, let's, let's have some drinks. And I shouldn't have taken the drinks. I was just there all night. I'm like, oh, my God. I, my headache is splitting. I'm like, oh. I mean, I just got like bleep-faced. And oh, I'm just, I'm so hungover. I'm just so miserable right now. He said, but I'm here because I want to be part of this community. And I looked at him. I'm like, you are definitely a new Christian. Because you don't know that Christians totally lie in settings like this. When someone says, how are you doing? We say things like, man, I'm blessed. <laughs> how are you doing? We say things like, oh, I'm just, just going over. I'm trying to, trying to make it over. We have all these other lines, all these little, I'm like, you, you, I mean, like, how are you doing? Hung over. I'm like, the truth? How refreshing. <laughs> how refreshing. See, here's the catch. God delivers the real you, not the fake you. This dude got free. 
This brother got free. Now listen, I, I, Mike, do you want to, are you saying it's okay to go get drunk and poop-faced? And, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I appreciate it when someone, talk to someone else. It's like, man, listen, these, my, my addiction to prescription drugs has been, is a hard habit to kick. Refreshing. Because God has promised to bless the real you, not the fake you. God will deliver the real you, not the fake you. God will forgive the real you. You cannot get forgiven of the sins you don't bring into the light. All right, how do we get real? Three thoughts, and that's the end of the day. Number one, just get real with yourself. How do we, how do we get real? Number one, get honest with yourself. Psalm 51 says, God, you desire truth in the inward being. Get real with yourself. Some of you don't believe some of the things that you say online. Just stop it. Number two, open up with the right people. Take off the, this week, there's going to be someone here that's wearing something that it's just not you. Like, I, you know, it's, it's there, there's someone here and you've been wearing something that you think everybody else wants you to wear and I'm just here to tell you, it's not you. <laughs> this week, in an appropriate way, with somebody, somewhere, I want you to take off the fake stuff and say, you know what, this, that's not me. Now again, I, this does not mean every opinion is right. Jesus rose from the dead whether someone believes it or not. But if someone doesn't believe it, here's the catch. I'm not shaming them into believing it. I'm going to reveal them into believing it. Okay, I, I'm not saying we back off on truth. I'm saying the stuff that, that it's, this week I would challenge you in a microchurch, in a conversation, find the people that you can be like, how ridiculous that I've been wearing that. Like, what? One day in heaven, I mean, I wonder if angels in heaven have looked at my life many times like, what is Michael Pat's thinking right now? Trying so hard to impress people that don't even care about what he's doing when Father, if only he remembered, he's already got your favor. Why is Mike trying so hard and striving so hard to get the approval of people when he's already got the approval of you? Open up with the right people. That, that means you need to start getting in touch with what's on the inside. If you're angry, tell people you're angry. If you're bitter, it's okay to tell some people you're bitter. If you feel petty, it's okay to sometimes be petty. I'm not saying you stay there. I'm saying God loves you so much, he receives you where you are, not where you should be. And we gotta do the same thing. I read a story this week about a husband that had been hiding a secret from his wife, a sexual secret for for many years, many decades in their marriage, he had a sexual addiction. He was so afraid of what would happen if she were to know what he would do late at night and with the stuff that he was doing when he was at work and when he was on computers. And with great shame and great fear and totally prepared for her to give him the hammer, he shared the secret. First person he had ever shared it with was his, his wife. His head was dropped low, tears in his eyes, knowing this could be the worst consequence he could imagine. What he did not expect was what he heard in response was when his wife began to weep because she also had a secret she had never shared with anybody. When she was 15 years old, she had been groomed and abused by a youth pastor at church. Somehow so ashamed, she never told a soul until she told him. 
See, here was a couple that had been married for decades that were living in an isolation of disintegration that their full selves never came. And I'm not going to overstate the story because it's not like in that moment everything was perfect. It's not like in that moment it was as if nothing ever happened. But it was in that moment that the light began to shine and they invited Jesus in and he began the process of healing because he's promised to heal the real you and he's promised to bless the real you and he's promised to redeem the real you and that's really where the sermon ends because how do you get real you've got to, at the end of the day choose to get real with God in Psalm chapter 32 David he said oh how blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one that the Lord doesn't count against them their sin and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He said, when I kept silent, my bones were wasting away. And I just have this sense that there is someone online right now, there are some of you in here, and you've kept silent on some things, and your bones are wasting away. I'm not going to ask you to confess to me how thankful I am that God says, if you will confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't need to get up in front of a church and tell people. You don't need to go tell a bunch of people, unless that's going to be part of your healing journey, of course. But you come to God. He says, I, when, I, when I held on and I was silent, my bones wasted away. Day and night, it was, I was, there was heaviness. He said, my strength was sapped. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. I said, I will confess my transgressions, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, the only way you're ever going to put on the clothes you were made to wear is when, when we get back to what we lost in the garden. When you realize, wait a minute, even in your nakedness, you're adored. So this morning, I drove up here by myself with one, one of my children, one of my daughters. And she gets in the car, and she makes these little faces. She, she puckers her lips, you know. She, do, she does these funny, precious, beautiful, wonderful expressions. And she makes these little sighs. And, and she's, she's her own little person. And she does her little things. And I reach over, and I was holding her hand while we were driving. And then, and then she was going to get out and go over to the kids and do something there. And she runs over here, and then she comes back in because she doesn't like to interrupt people. And, and she gets back in the car, and she says, okay, I'll go with you to your side, not the kid's side. And, we do, and I'm just sitting there looking. She's got these little freckles on her face, and, and I'm just looking at her. And I just flat out adore this girl. My countenance was just lifted to her. At one point, I'm just sitting there looking at her in the car. We were stopped in traffic, and I'm just smiling at her, and she was talking about something, and then she turns, she looks at me just to see if I'm looking at her, and then she looks back and tells her story. And there's a life that she has because she knows that her father's countenance is lifted up to her. And I want her to always know that because that's how you grow and that's how you repent and that's how you change and that's how you heal and that's how you integrate. And there's a reason you and I are hesitant to go to God. It's because we know we've blown it. We know we're sinners. We know we've, we've done things worthy of being separated from him. But I'm here to announce to you that when Jesus went to the cross and paid for our sins, and rose from the dead, 
Do you understand that if in your mind you think to yourself, I don't deserve for God's face, that's easy for Mike to do with his daughter Arella because she's probably innocent. But if you knew all the, if you knew all the darkness in my life, Mike, you would, you would know that I don't deserve that, to which I would say you're probably right, which is why you and me need a cleansing that we cannot do ourselves. But Jesus did it so that you could belong even before you believed. And when you believe, when that happens, that, that belonging kicks in and something happens where, where you get free. And it's not overnight, it's not instantaneous, but over, there's, a, there's a door that gets opened and where there's a, a healing and a redemption and a grace and a sanctification and a, and a change and a transformation that takes place because of the work of Jesus, because of the grace of Jesus, because of the kingship of Jesus, because of the words of Jesus. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased so that when I'm coming to you right now, I want you to lift your heads because if you've been avoiding God, wondering what his facial expression is, let me give you the good news. When Jesus went to the cross, the Father's head was turned away. The Father's countenance was dropped low. So you will never know the turning away of the Father's face and countenance. What good news! It's the only way you're going to get out of your porn. It's the only way you're going to get out of your greed. It's the only way you're going to get out of all the injustice. It's the, not the shame stuff. Has our culture not proved yet already a billion times over? The shame doesn't work. The only thing that works is the one thing that removes all the shame, and his name is Jesus. Blessed be his name. Hosanna in the highest.